you're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, good morning and welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it's such a privilege and an honor to have you with us here today. I'm so glad to see you. Today's a very special day, and I want to answer a couple of questions for you. First, why is he pretending that ice cream scoop is a microphone? That's the kind of thing that I think is funny, and that's why. No, today is, a, is, is Life Group Sunday. Life Group Sunday. We're kicking off fall life groups. And if you've been around our church for a while, you know that life groups are really just at the very heart of what we do. We, we believe that one of the best things we can offer you here is a life-changing community. And we can, we can the, the best avenue for you to walk into that is in through life groups. And so today as we kick off our fall life groups this week, outside you may have seen some tables and some things set up. What we want to do is after service today, I want to give you the opportunity to meet some of these life group leaders and sign up for their groups. And whenever I'm talking to somebody new for the first time, I always feel awkward if I don't have anything in my hands. You know, I don't really know what to do with them. Is it impolite to put them in your pockets? But it's rude to do this, you know, so are you supposed to stand there with them at your side? I wanted to solve that problem for you today by giving you ice cream in your hands. You're not going to have to worry about what goes in your hands because you're going to have a root beer float or a Coke float that you can feast upon while trying to make conversation. It's going to be fantastic. And we got some great life groups. Yes. Come on now. Who don't love a root beer float? Come on, somebody. When's the last time you had a root beer float? For me, it was like a week and a half ago. All right. It's going to be great, and uh, I'm telling you what, we got some great life groups this fall for you to get engaged, and I'll highlight a couple for you. One is, is, a, is a group called Alpha. Alpha is this global, uh, I forgot what, what kind of category it would fall in, program. It's a, it's a global course, let's call it a course, that really answers a lot of questions about faith and about what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe you've been a little skeptical on the edge, on the outside, not really sure about it all. Well, it asks a lot of the deeper questions that we ask in life and helps us to understand uh, how we view those from a spiritual level. It really, it just makes Jesus and his gospel approachable. That's what Alpha does. If you're new to faith, if you want your faith to be renewed, if you're not in faith, yeah, you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but you've been dipping your toes in the water. This is the group for you. It's led by Randy and Kathy Hughes, who are two amazing and incredible people. And it's going to be real close by to here, so it's a good location for you. I'm telling you, Alpha is a great course to sign up for. Another great course to sign up for is family dinners. We got quite a few of them, and family dinners is kind of one of our staple type groups here, and it's real simple. It's just like you gather around the table like a family. You live life together. You go through it together. You, you talk about what's going on in your life and you learn about how Jesus can be a part of your life over everyday conversation. That's what I'm, I'm a part of a family dinner. We've been in the same group for several years now. Our kids are growing up together. I'm just telling you that's how real community is made. Get up around a table, somebody. And so some great life groups to sign up for out there today. I hope that you can, if you're not already signed up for one, 
one. Go sign up for one and engage in that. I really believe it will bless you and it will help you to uh, really start to build the family that you were looking for. So today, maybe you've noticed there's been a little change in programming, a little change in the schedule. If you pay attention during the announcements, which, you know, I don't know how many of you that is. Sorry, Mikey. He does a great job. But if you pay attention, maybe you noticed we were gearing up for a series called You Asked For It. Who's excited about You Asked For It? We canceled You Asked For It. We're not doing it. I didn't want to answer any of your questions. Didn't like them. Didn't want to talk about them. Just kidding. That's not why. Honestly, uh, we, we shifted. And the reason that we've shifted is this week as I was preparing the message and looking out over the next couple weeks and the next couple series that we were going to do, I really felt the Holy Spirit move me to something different and really just felt uh, a desire in my heart. And I feel a need in our culture, in our church, in our city uh, to do a simple study of a book of the Bible and to just learn a little bit from this, a little, take a little deep dive, a little, a little moment to fixate on some simple truth. And so that is what we've decided to do. For the next five weeks, we're going to study the book of James. And we're going to take it down chapter by chapter. And just, I think there's a message in this book that our, we really need right now. That, that's important to the moment that we're in culturally and as a society. I think that there's a message in this book that is just what we need at this time. And so that's what we're doing for the next five weeks. We're going to be dipping into James. It's a little different than normal for us. We, we'll normally teach in series that are around a topic. I'll normally go through 16 books of the Bible in one message. And we're really going to hover around this one for now, for the next five weeks. After that, we have a, a message series coming up called At the Movies, and I love At the Movies. If you know me, I'm a movie guy. I love the movies, and so uh, for a couple weeks, we're going to come in here, and we're going to learn and talk about the gospel in the context of modern storytelling. I believe that one of the ways that the Bible is told uh, effectively, especially in the teachings of Jesus, is through the method of story. Jesus wanted to make it a by telling stories that related to people. And that is really just our aim with At The Movies. And so that's a ton of fun. There's popcorn and Coke as well. And so get ready for that. But until then, guys, we're going to get in this book of James. And we're just going to understand it together and walk through it together and learn from it together. James is kind of, uh, he's kind of direct. And uh, honestly, he can be a little bit mean sometimes. And I think sometimes we need that kind of, we need a blunt person in our life. Do you have the blunt friend in your life? The person who's just always saying, it's not always at the right time, is it? Where they just always got something to say to you. And the, the, they want to speak into the moment you're in. They want to talk about the relationship you're in, right? They want to talk about the way you're raising your kids. And, and they just kind of get a little bit blunt in there. So I think we need somebody around us. Sometimes it's a bit too much, okay? If you're that person... Just tone it back a little bit, okay? Sometimes it's a little bit too much. But I think we need somebody to speak some, some honest truth into us. 
And that's what James does. James was the brother of Jesus, and he was a straight shooter. His book is blunt and to the point, and I just think we're going to enjoy going through it. So today, really, what I want to do is look at the first chapter of James and, and, and talk about four different things that we can learn from it. We'll just get started. Number one, first thing that I want us to learn in this first chapter, the first message I think that James is going to help us to see today is that God's Word is a gift. You know, as your pastor a goal that I have is really simply just to instill some, some basic, simple practices in your life that I believe will change your life. You know, I, I really just, I want to see a church that makes a, a priority to pray first, to make prayer just a, a big part of every single day that lives in it, that knows how to dwell in prayer. I want to lead a church that knows how to study God's Word, that knows that makes it a part of your everyday life, that makes it a part of what we do. And these little things, I think if we, can, if we can learn how to put them in every day of our life, I think can change every part of our life. And James starts there by talking about how God's word is a gift. I want to open up in James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's just where he starts, you guys. Hey, isn't it good when bad things happen? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is the tone of the book of James. If you've never studied it, it's abrupt and it's a little bit direct. Sometimes that's what we need. He opens by reminding us that the hard things we go through test our faith and produce perseverance in us and remind us to get our hope and our peace in God, not our circumstances. Then he assures us that God doesn't cause these trials, although he will use them to test us and to teach us. I want to skip ahead to verse 16. It says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all that he created. James uh, identifies his audience in the very first words of his book, and he writes this book to the early Jewish Christians, to the early Jewish Christians. In fact, most scholars believe that James is the oldest book in the New Testament. Chronologically, it was written first and it was spread around the world first. It was most commonly held and had and read on Sundays first. And so this, this book was probably written just a few years after Jesus ascended into heaven. And at this time, the Jewish people are carrying the majority of the gospel. It is now becoming accessible to all people all over the world. But these Jewish people are the ones who have the familiar, familiarity with the God of Abraham, the God of the Bible. Here James is reminding his people that God gave them the word of truth. And he's speaking of the Bible they had at the time as a way of preparing them sort of like a tithe, a first fruit of all the people who were going to enter a relationship with God after Jesus. It's worth mentioning that the term first fruit here is referring to the principle of the first, something that we hold to dearly in the gathering the principle of the first is that we give God the first of everything. We give him the first part of our week here on Sundays at church. We want to begin our week with worship. 
We give him the first part of our day. We, we wake up and we meet. In fact, that song we just sang, it's a, what a beautiful name for years. I'm probably five years. That was every single morning I woke up and listened to that song. And now I'm on a newer song. It's called Revelation Song by Carrie Joby. Just kidding. It's like 10 years older than that song. I just love it. It's like 10 minutes long, and that's just how long it takes for my heart to get right for my grumpy mood first thing in the morning. Who knows? Sometimes you've got to get your heart right. So we give him the first part of our day. We give him the first part of our finances, and that's really where this, this first fruits principle came from. We give God the first part of our budget, not the leftovers. And this concept appears all over Scripture, Old Testament and New. And what James is saying is that the Jewish people who had access to God before anyone else, God chose to begin his story with humanity through this people. And they had access to God before anyone else through the word of truth, the the Bible that they were able to learn from and grow from and read at the time. That made them the first fruits of humanity, set apart for God first. And I love the language he uses to refer to the Bible, the word of truth, the word of truth, because that is a theme throughout his book, throughout his letter, truth. I think we're in a time when we really need to know and understand the word of truth. There's a popular movement right now. In fact, part of the reason that I wanted to teach from the book of James, is we had some questions around this, and, and I should mention that almost all of the questions that we got and you asked for it have been answered in previous messages during, we've done that series in the past, and you can go in our archives and find those there, and if you submitted a question, there were some good ones, and you can find the answers to those in there that haven't changed, but there were a couple questions around this idea of deconstruction, deconstruction. If you don't know what deconstruction is, uh, it is a popular thing going around in the Christian world right now, kind of a, a postmodernism movement, um, where they take apart Christianity and remove the things that don't feel right, uh, or that challenge us, or that challenge our cultural norms, like the scope of sin, and the justice of God, and teachings about hell. And deconstruction removes anything that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable, and it keeps the things that we do like, loving our neighbors, loving our enemies, living in good deeds, the grace of God, the teachings of heaven. In other words, it takes the parts of the Bible or Christianity that are hard to understand or don't make sense to us, and it keeps the things that are easy or agreeable. That's what deconstruction is. It's popular, but it is not new. This kind of thing goes all the way back to the first couple of years after Jesus ascended into heaven with a movement called the Gnostics. They did essentially the same thing. And it goes back even further to the garden when the devil tempted Eve by saying in Genesis chapter 3, did God really say, did God really say? Proverbs 16, 25 says, there is a way that seems right to man But in the end, it leads to death. See, we've always questioned the truth and picked apart the truth, and we've abandoned truths that we didn't want. It's in our nature. And some deconstruction can be a good thing. There was a big deconstruction movement that began in 1517. It was called the Reformation. 
And it happened at a time when the church uh, was obsessed with tradition and all these unhealthy practices that were happening within the church that did not come from the Bible, did not come from God. And so the people, some of these leaders of the Reformation broke down all the traditions and teachings of man and they rebuilt Christianity based only on this, on God's word of truth. It happened during and around the time of the plague, when the world was questioning truth, was questioning who is God, questioning why should we give our lives to Him. And it resulted in a renewed healing in what the church was meant to be. I believe deconstruction can be healthy as long as it's united with reconstruction based on the word of truth. I've been through seasons of deconstruction in my faith. In fact, our church has been through seasons of deconstruction where we break down what it means to be the church, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and then we rebuild using the whole Word of God. And so today, as we look at James, I love that he calls it the Word of Truth, because one of the things I want to do in this series is take five weeks to answer one question from you asked for it on what we believe about God's Word and what we believe about deconstructing the faith. I think that helping us establish the Word of truth as the thing in our lives that sustains us, that moves us through seasons like the one that we are in right now where our nation is so divided and so broken and so afraid and so hurting that, that by rebuilding the Word of truth as a central voice in our lives reminds us who we were made to be. I believe it reveals the nature of God to us and teaches us how to live our lives the way we were created to live them. Jesus said this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, 25. He reiterates the power of the Word of God and, and explains its meaning, making it more clear and accessible to people. And then he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Church, I believe you're, you're in a storm right now. So many of us are. Our world is. And in this moment that we're in, where we're being challenged every day, where, where we're being pushed against, where, where you're going through trials and temptation, and, and you are having your world rocked over and over again, goodness gracious, when will it ever stop? We need a foundation that can withstand it. And that is why we need to understand the power of God's word of truth. Let's lay that foundation Second thing that we're going to learn from James is this. We got to let it be louder. God's word is a gift, and we need to let it be louder. Verse 19 My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's a hard one, isn't it? I don't like that one. I like to be quick to become angry, and I like to speak first and always, without failing to stop, always. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth 
and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. I wonder what the world would look like if we could just live out these couple of verses. God's word is a gift and the Bible is full of truth and that truth can be difficult to receive. And it's difficult to receive because it's difficult to live out, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And it says why we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Because our anger doesn't get the results that God wants from us. Or even it doesn't usually get the results that we want for ourselves. We are in a season right now where most of us, myself included, are guilty of living the opposite of this. Let's be quick to anger and fast to speak. And let's just forget all about the whole listening side of things. That is hard. I don't like it. In this season, I feel that we really need to understand how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because God wants something different for us than what our anger can produce. When you have a conversation with someone you disagree with, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. When, when you sit down with somebody, I wonder what the results are that you're usually looking for if you sit down with a family member who has a different worldview than you. Do you want to change their mind? Do you want to make them understand how you feel? Do you want them to begin to see things differently? Do you just want to have a relationship with them again? I wonder if getting angry produces any of those results. I wonder if stepping over every word that they say produces any of those results. I wonder if discounting the words coming out of their mouth before they finish speaking them produces any of those results. James reminds us that the answer is no. We've got to listen. And then he says, get rid of the moral filth that is so prevalent and accept the word planted firmly inside of us. Moral filth is a fun term. We should be using that more often. This, this seems intuitive. Most of us have heard this verse, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. It lives in our cultural subconscious. In fact, a lot of people probably don't even know it's in the Bible. It's some wisdom that's written on a, a, a piece of wood from Hobby Lobby in somebody's house Right now, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. But the reason it's so hard is that we are constantly letting the wrong voices influence us. We're letting the wrong people, the wrong voices, the wrong personalities influence our lives and our behavior and our words and our relationships. See, our world is surrounded by influences and you can't erase all of them. It's your parents, it's your friends, it's your coworkers and your boss. It's the TV shows we watch and the podcasts that we listen to and, and the books that we read and the music that we hear. It's the news that you trust. It's the voices we rely on become the influences that speak into our heart. And there is so much influence out there that is opposite to the teachings of Jesus and it has nothing to do with it. We spend countless hours watching TV and movies every year. You guys, I love movies and I love TV. I love it. But how many positive Christian characters existed in that form of media? 
What superheroes live out their faith as well as their heroic values? What TV dramas show families dealing with life alongside a healthy Christian worldview? This is amazing, isn't it? How little we are influenced towards the very thing that should be the center of our worldview if we are Christians. No wonder we have a difficult time producing the righteousness that God desires. Many of the things that influence us aren't influencing us in the right direction. Now, I'm not telling you to eliminate every other influence in your life. I love TV. I love movies. It's okay to watch movies and television and to read books and to listen to popular music. Some of it, those things that influence you in the wrong direction or that would have you hold some other gospel central to your life, those things are the moral filth you need to eliminate from your life. But most of the influence in your life is harmless if you take it in moderation. You can have other influences in your life, but the word of truth needs to be the loudest. So how do you do that? If you watch three hours of television every day, you listen to two hours of podcasts every day, and you don't put this in your life at all during that day, it will not be the loudest voice in your life. If you watch the news every morning while you're cooking breakfast and every night when you get home, but you never open this book, how could it be the loudest influence in your life? We don't have to eliminate all these other things. I'm not saying they're bad, and I'm not saying that as followers of Jesus we can't enjoy the entertainment or, or the voices of this world around us. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, The word of truth has got to be louder in your life or you won't be influenced by it the way that you are by these other things. So how do you do that? You got to read it. You got to read it. You got to read it every day. I read this one not very much, if I'm being honest. You can see, look, I've had this for two years. I'm a pastor. Look at how nice that looks. Look at that. I've got a friend. Her Bible looks like she ties it up behind her car with a belt drives to work every day with that thing. Like, what are you doing to that poor? That is the word of God. You know, I'm one of those, and this is a confession time. I, I never highlight or write in my Bible, and it's not because I'm a bad pastor, but it's because I was raised so daggum Christian that I could not defile God's word with my own handwriting. Couldn't do it. <laughs> and so I have a journal that I keep next to it, and I write all the things down in there so that God's word can remain pure. Somebody. Come on. Yes, Lord. Okay. I didn't mean to get Baptist on you this morning. <laughs> you know, I, I've a, I use an app. Um, I've got it on my iPad, and I've got it on my phone. And I've got, it's called the Bible in One Year app. It's red and white logo if you're looking for it on your, on your app store. And the Bible in One Year app is very simply that. It is a great reading plan that takes you through the whole Bible in one year. I've done the one-year Bible for 11 years straight now. I love it. I love going through God's Word every year. I like to, I'm ADHD, and those plans usually go uh, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverb. And they give you a little bit of everything. Because it's like, I've had enough Moses for one day. I need some Paul. I've had enough Paul for one day. Give me a proverb. Whoa, that's a weird proverb. All right, how about the Psalms? 
oh, it wants to drag somebody's teeth through the gravel. I'm into this. Let's go. And so I, I like to get a little bit of everything in there. And you just got to do you. There's no right or wrong way. That, there's two versions of that app. There's the full version and there's the express version. Okay, on my phone, I have the express version. And on my iPad, I have the full version. And so if you catch me in the morning with my phone, you know I'm late. I'm late for something and I'm like, give me the express one, please. I need three verses today. Yes, God, that's your truth. I'm just saying you got to pick a plan or find a way to get into it and you got to do it every day. It cannot be the loudest influence in your life if it is not a part of your life. How can you expect to grow and get closer to God and know who he is and understand his character and understand the promises that he has for you, to cling to the hope that he has for you? How are you supposed to go through a storm and have a foundation that you can stand on if you're not getting in his word as much as you're getting into NPR? How are we supposed to hold the influences of this world accountable to the word of truth if we don't know what the word of truth says as much as we know what the influence of this world says? Pick a plan and read it every day. There's an app called the Bible app. It's really easy to find. You just type in Bible, and it has a little picture of, you guessed it, a Bible. It's great. And on that app, there is hundreds of plans. You, got, you could start with a three-minute plan to just make sure you're getting into God's Word every day. In fact, you can get a push notification that'll put a, a Bible verse out for you every morning when you turn your phone off, and you can read it and understand it and allow God's truth to permeate your day right there in the very beginning of it. I don't know how to impress upon you how important I feel it is that you allow the word of truth to be the very first word that enters your day. I do not always have time to read it in the morning, but guess what? They all will read it to you now. We've digressed, okay? I'm a five-year-old. I don't have to read my own words anymore. I can hit, there's a little play icon, and I can hit it on my phone, and then a British guy reads it to me. It's great. He's like, hello, welcome to God's Word. I'm Nikki Gumbel. And I'm like, hello, Nikki. Perhaps I'll have a spot of tea today. And we study God's Word together. Let it be an influence in your life. Consume it. Understand it. Study it. I've got a, a little, I, I, use, I've got, I use spiral notebooks as journals. I used to buy moleskins, and they're expensive and pretentious, and they're hard to keep open. A spiral notebook, you just flip the page. Come on, somebody. I love it. It's like 16 cents. i got spiral notebooks, and I've got different ones. I've got one for stuff I don't understand. I just write down, I don't know what that means. I'll just write it down, and I'll Google it later, okay? I've got one in there for just a, I, put, I call it the heart of my prayer, today. I call it the heart of my prayer, and I'll just write, I'll read all this scripture, so good, but there's usually only one thing my ADHD brain can take from it that day, and I'll write that down in that spiral notebook, and I'll move on. Study God's word, and then live it out. Number three, live it out. It says this in verse 22. It gets a little rough here, guys. I'm going to try to make it gentle for you. I'll read it in a soft voice. Do not merely listen. I'm not going to do that. It sounds like I'm mocking God's word. That's bad. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who goes and looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, I believe God's word can absolutely change your life. 
for the better. I love that he calls it the perfect law of freedom. The perfect law. We think of the law, and maybe you grew up the way I did, thinking that this book was chains. That it was a way of living that was hard and not fun and boring and impossible to actually live out. But James understands that it, this, this is a law of freedom. That when I begin to live the way that God's word teaches me to live, I'm living the way I was made to live. And when I live the way I was made to live, my soul and my heart delight in it and come alive in it. And I feel satisfied in it. This law of freedom can change your life when you allow it to speak into your life as the loudest voice of influence. Change is inevitable, but it's also never easy, and it never happens automatically. You can't just read this and expect to just be a better person tomorrow. you got to receive the Word and begin to do what it says. It's not enough to just read the word of truth. It has to infiltrate your life. Here's an example. Uh, One of my favorite stories about Jesus is when he goes into the upper room for the Last Supper as recorded in John chapter 13. It says, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. I hate feet. I think feet are the most disgusting part of any human body. They smell. They have weird dead skin on them. The toenails are always bad. You can paint over them, ladies. We know what's under there. Feet are just the worst. And these folks wore sandals all the time, walking around in Birkenstocks on dirt streets. Disgusting. And Jesus touched them. Oh, Jesus, he's so good. I would never do that for you. He touched them. He touched their feet. He washes their feet, and it's this beautiful story. And it's something that's expected of the lowest servant in the house. But Jesus, the highest position in the house, washes the feet of everyone who follows him. And look in verse 12, John 13, 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He didn't mean literally touching feet, you know, because he knows that's gross. He knew that. He just did it. He meant go out and serve the people who serve you. Love people well. Show people value who aren't used to being shown value. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you would be blessed if you do them. Isn't that amazing? He even washed Judas' feet, and he knew that Judas was getting ready to betray him that night. He tells us to do the same thing, to treat people with humility and kindness and respect and to serve people no matter who they are. And if we're going to lead well... First, we have to serve well. Now, imagine reading that and then going right into a restaurant and treating your server like garbage. Maybe they were too slow or they messed up your order. And so you set them straight, talked to their manager, gave them a bad tip. Maybe you even made them feel small. That'll teach them. Imagine reading that, going to work, and treating the custodial staff like they are less than you. Imagine reading that and treating your neighbor who annoys you like they shouldn't live there. Those things would be like seeing your face in the mirror and then walking away and forgetting what you look like. Sometimes, like in this passage, the Bible will challenge you 
and it will make you feel uncomfortable, and it might even disagree with you. Theologian and author Tim Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. You know, this stuff is challenging, and it can be hard to understand sometimes. It can be direct sometimes, but do you know that God doesn't have to do what you want him to do all the time. He doesn't have to communicate the way that you want him to. What he wants for you shouldn't always just look exactly like what you want for you. His ways are higher. He knows better. He's designed you. He knows what's best for you. This kind of stuff can be hard to live out, but when you do live it out, your life is marked by blessing and satisfaction and fulfillment and joy, I promise you. So make it a daily practice. Read God's word every day. Read it. Pick a plan. Read it every day. Soak it up and learn from it. And as you do it, ask yourself, what is one thing I can take from this and do today? Maybe it's this passage about washing feet. How can I serve someone today? How can I show value to someone who's not being valued today? Let it be a loud influence in your life and then actually let it change you by living it out one day at a time. Last thing that James wants us to know as he opens his letter is remember the point. Remember the point. This is how James closes the first chapter. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. I'm not sure if I need to explain that one, but I do want to let it sink in. 1 Corinthians 13.2 says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move the mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. The Bible is a story of God's compassion and his love. It's a story about his overwhelming grace. It's filled with truth. It's a roadmap to live your life in holiness and righteousness that will ultimately leave you blessed and fulfilled. But above all, this book is a picture of grace and compassion and love. We got to live that way. We got to live that way in the relationships that we have, in the relationships that we've broken, in the relationships that we don't want. We've got to live that way. Or it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. If you say you believe in this book, but you don't love well with your words and your actions, you've missed the point of it. Verse 27, religion that, our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Jesus lived in a world full of religious people who were more obsessed with bending the world to look like them than they were with trying to bear the image of God. 
And in one conversation, those people tried to trap Jesus by asking him what the most important commandment was. And they thought he would prioritize one over the others and they could use it to discredit him. But he responds like this. It's verse 30. It says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love people. Spend less time assigning religion to your opinions and more time loving God and loving people. We're going to get into some James over the next five weeks. He's going to challenge us. He's going to push on us. But this word, this word of truth God's word. This book is so full of so much goodness that I believe can influence your life, can overpower every hateful voice around you. I got to tell you, there's a lot of hateful influence in this world. It just bleeds into our hearts. Even if we don't mean for it to and we don't want it to, it just does. I got the cure right here. Love God, love people. Be the best kind of follower of Jesus we can be. And that's just one that knows him well. We'll study his word over these next couple of weeks. We're going to learn more and more about it, how to do it. I can't wait for it. If you're here today, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe you're in this place today just checking it out, came with somebody. Maybe you've been a part of church for a long time. And you've just been so overwhelmed by all the influences around you that are constantly making you feel like the world is collapsing in on itself. And maybe you're in desperate need of hope today. I have hope to give you. I have hope to offer you freely. His name is Jesus. And he deeply wants a relationship with you and he wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. And if you'd like to enter into a relationship with him today, every head bowed, every eye closed, just say this prayer with me. And this is the beginning. It goes like this. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for making it about me. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I believe in you. I believe in who you are and what you've done for me. So I give my life to you today. All that I am is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Gathering Church Podcast is produced by the Gathering Church Creative Team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.